Our theme for this year, as you saw already, it's on the front of your bulletin, is rooted deeply, standing firmly, and living steadfastly. As a Christian, if you want to live steadfastly, you have to be able to stand firmly. In order to stand firmly, you have to be rooted deeply. So this morning, I'd like to talk about being rooted deeply in God's Word. When I was a teenager, my father always designated Saturdays as work days around the house. He always had projects, whether it be in the house or outside the house, working in the yard, mowing, trimming, raking, all kind of things on Saturdays. And one thing I've noticed as we tried to maybe plant additional plants or uh, other trees, there were roots all over our yard because there was a huge oak tree in our front yard. And no matter where you dug in our yard, you always found roots from that tree. It's quite aggravating. I got why well, I didn't like that tree very much. But it had because roots all over the yard. Uh, in the early 70s, a hurricane came through Florida, north of Tampa, and hit Land Lakes. And many trees in our yard and other yards around us were knocked over. But one tree that stood firmly, uh, it lost many, some of its limbs and many leaves, was that oak tree. You know why? Because it was rooted deeply in the yard, all over the yard. So this morning, I'd like to talk about how you can stand firmly by being rooted deeply in God's Word. In our text here, it talks about spiritual gifts. If you were to look in chapter 4, verse 7, Ephesians 4, 7, it says, But unto every one of us is a given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Verse 8, Wherefore he saith, When he, to my Lord Jesus, ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave what? Gifts unto men. In verse 11, we have the title of some of those gifts, that Christ has given gifts to men, and these gifted men he gave to the church. Verse 11, for he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. There are four gifted men here that the Lord gave to the church. The first two is mentioned as apostles and prophets. These are gifts given to the early church. They call them foundational gifts. In fact, Ephesians 2.20, it says, are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. These are given to the early church, no longer operation today. There are no prophets. There are no apostles today. They were given to the early church. But the other two gifts mentioned here are in exercise today. He goes on to say in verse 11, and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. As a church, every, probably twice a year, we have evangelists come. We're having one coming in February. Rich Tozier coming to minister to our church. This is a man exercising a spiritual gift God's given to him, a gift given to the church. But also it says, and some pastors and teachers. It is believed that this is one gift given to one person, a pastor and teacher. Now, there is a gift of teaching that both men and women have. can be exercised in the church. But this gift is given to men called pastors and teachers. And... It, and so I like to talk about these gifts and why they're given. Why did God give evangelists? Why did God give pastors to the church? I'm glad you asked. There are three reasons mentioned in our text here today. The first one, that God gave gifted men to the church to equip the saints. To equip the saints. Verse 12, it says, verse 11 again, he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, 
for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Notice here why God gave pastors to the church is to perfect the change. The word perfect means to equip the saints. It literally means to thoroughly or completely furnish. Here's a question for you. What does a pastor, what does evangelists use to perfect the saints? What does the pastor use to equip saints for the work in the ministry? I'm glad you asked. Turn with me now to 2 Timothy. Hold your finger here in Ephesians, coming right back to it. 2 Timothy in chapter 3, please. If you're using the church Bible, page 1677. The word perfect, perfecting the saints, it means to completely furnish. So what does God use? What does the pastor use to perfect or furnish the believer for the work of the ministry? It tells us here in 2 Timothy what that is. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Many are familiar with this verse. In verse 16, it says, All Scripture, there's the key word, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for the instruction in righteousness. Verse 17, that the man of God, talking about the believer, may be what? Perfect, the word perfect means mature. It goes on to say, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. In other words, this verse is saying everything you need to live the Christian life, everything you need to do what God's called you to do, everything you need to be the person God's called you to be is found in the word of God. The word of God makes a Christian thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We have a man in our church, many of you know, Larry Thompson, who is a maintenance man. He does a lot of maintenance around our church here and keep things going. There are times I've asked him to come to my house to work on around details on my house. And when he comes, he always comes in a van. Many of you have seen his van. And his van is thoroughly furnished under every work he has to do. He does the job in our yard. He goes to his van. Any tool, anything he needs to get the job done is found in that van. That van is thoroughly furnished under every work he does. The Bible says that the Bible furnishes you to do the works God's called you to do. And the pastor and the evangelist use the Bible to equip you for the work of the ministry, to make you furnished unto all good works. Now, go back to Ephesians, please. He gave these evangelists and pastors for the perfecting of the saints, and it goes on to say, for the work of the ministry. God gave evangelists, God gave pastors to the church to equip them to do the work of the ministry. Many churches have the idea, we're going to hire the pastor that he might do the work. Yet the Bible says the pastor's work to equip you to do the work. You know, interesting, the Bible refers to the pastor as a shepherd, and the shepherd cares and watches over, over the flock. But when it comes to reproducing sheep, Whose responsibility is that? It's not the pastor's responsibility. It's the sheep's responsibility. The sheep reproduce sheep. However, the Bible says pastor and evangelist are given to the church to equip you that you might do the work of the ministry. Now, the pastor should be the example involved in the work, but it's his job to equip you, to make you thoroughly furnished unto all good works. But it goes on to say, that's the work of ministry, but the ultimate goal is to build up the body of Christ. The latter part of that verse, 
and it says here, for the edifying of the body of Christ. What does the word edify mean? It means to build up, to build up the church. Now, question again, what is it that the pastor uses or what is it that God uses to build up the believer? I'm glad you asked. Keep your finger right here. Go to Acts chapter 20 now, please. Acts chapter 20. We're talking about the gifts that God gave to men, these gifted men God gave to the church, that of an evangelist and a pastor. He gave them to the church to equip the church to do the work of the ministry for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ. Now, we found what it is the pastor uses to furnish the believer to do the work, and that's the, God's word. But what is the pastor, what does God use to build up the believer? God's word. <laughs> Acts chapter 20, verse 32, please. Page 1564, if you're using a church Bible. It says, Now then, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. So the Bible, God's word. Commend you to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. Now, please listen. God has given gifted men to the church basically to equip the body of Christ, to furnish them to do the work of the ministry, and to build up the body of Christ. Now, in both cases, the tool, the instrument that the pastor uses, the evangelist uses, and most important, God uses, to furnish the believer to do the work is God's word, and to build up the believer is God's word. Talk about the importance of God's word. Number two, God has given gifted men to equip the saints. Number two, is now to bring believers to spiritual maturity. To bring believers to spiritual maturity. In verses 13 and 14 of Ephesians 4, there are two words that represent the different stages of spiritual growth. The first one is found in the verse 13. It is the word perfect man. Look in verse 13, please. The perfect man refers to a spiritual adult a mature believer. Verse 13, it goes on to say, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, talking about a mature believer, a spiritual adult, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In this verse, we have the characteristics of a mature believer. Let me ask you a question. Would you consider yourself a mature believer? or a spiritual adult. Here we have characteristics to be found in a person who makes that claim. The first characteristic we have is one called unity. One called unity. It says there again in verse uh, 13, till we come into the unity of the faith. The word unity, how many believe that unity is important? Have you ever been in a church with a lot of factions, a lot of division, a lot of cliques, and how the voice is awful to be in that situation. But one thing is a sign of a mature believer. He always seeks unity among believers. In fact, if you back up, he would please there, in chapter 4, verse 1, the same chapter. Paul said, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation where you men called, verse 3. How do you walk worthy of the vocation of that of being a Christian? Endeavoring to keep the what? 
unity in the spirit of the bond of peace. In fact, Psalms 133, verse 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell in unity. You know, when the church is unified together, one calls, one purpose. Boy, it runs so much better. It's such a better and happier place to be. And one of the signs of spiritual maturity is a child of God who always endeavors to bring unity. Bring unity. And where? Unity in what? Good question. Read on. Look at it again there. It said, endeavoring to keep the unity, it says in their... Uh, Talking about unity of the faith. Unity of the faith. Back again in verse uh, 13. To all come unity of the faith. Now what is the faith? It didn't say unity of faith. It says unity of the faith. The definite article there. The, the word the faith there is that it refers to the body of revealed truth or the summation of that which we believe. In the book of Jude, chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Believers are to earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. So here's a question for you. If we are to strive for unity of the faith, what doctrines, what teachings of the Bible make up the faith? It's order, and we need to know what they are so we can strive to have unity in these teachings. I'm glad you asked. I hope you write them down. They're called the fundamentals of the faith. Many of you know these already, but there's seven of them. The first one is the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. The virgin birth is a fundamental of faith which we must have unity in. Number two, the deity of Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus Christ is God is an important doctrine of the Christian faith. Number three, the blood atonement that we're saved by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the third essential that makes up the faith. Number four, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The virgin birth, the deity of Christ, the blood atonement, and resurrection. These make up the fundamentals. There's more. The second coming. How do you believe that Christ is coming back again? That is one of the essentials of the faith we are to contend for and strive to always have. The Christ is coming again. Number six, the inspiration of the Bible. In fact, the Bible is the inspired, inerrant word of God. That is one of the essentials of the faith that we are to contend for, that we always strive to endeavor to have. And lastly, is salvation by grace through faith alone. Salvation by grace through faith alone. I wish we had time. We could cover each one of these. But these are the doctrines that make up, I use the word, the faith that we are to have unity in and always contend for. But it goes on to say not only the faith, it says here also unity in the knowledge of the Son of God. Verse 13, the knowledge of the Son of God. The word knowledge means precise and correct knowledge. And talking about who? The Son of God. How many believe there's different teachings about the person and work of Christ? It's like every church has something they teach different about him. But it's important for you I understand what the Bible says and take a stand for that and have unity in it. The knowledge of the Son of God. This word knowledge does not refer to salvation knowledge, but the deep knowledge of a Christ that a believer gains through prayer and through faithful study of the Word of God. So basically, one of the characteristics of being a mature believer is unity, unity of the faith, unity of the knowledge of God. The next characteristic of a mature believer is proper measuring. I'll explain that to you. 
proper measuring. It said in the latter part of verse 13, unto the measure of the statue, stature and the fullness of Christ. Here's a question for you. As a believer, how do you measure your spirituality? Or to what do you measure your maturity to? Let me give you the wrong standard. Then I'll give you the right standard. The wrong standard is a sign of spiritual immaturity. The wrong standard is other believers. Other believers. So many of us, when we want to know how spiritual we are, we compare ourselves to another Christian. I'm more better Christian than he is. I'm more spiritual than she is. And we do that to other believers. That's a wrong standard. In fact, go with me, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, please. 2 Corinthians 10, page 1632. It tells us when we compare ourselves one, one with another, that is not a wise thing to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse 12, please. A mature believer has a proper way of measuring. He does not measure his spirituality to other believers. It says there in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12, Paul said, we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, for they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves among themselves are not what? Wise. Now, why is it not good to measure your spirituality to another Christian? Because generally, we measure ourselves someone who's less spiritual than we are. We don't look at someone who's better Christian. We always look to someone who's the less Christian. But at the same time, their spirituality changes. Sometimes they may be spiritual, they may not. So it's a changing standard. Why is not wise to do that? So if it's not on the other believers, what standard should we measure ourselves to? A standard that does not change. And who is that? I give you a who, not what. Who? Jesus Christ. Because it goes on to say, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. By the way, how do you measure up to him? I don't know about you, I fall short. Hopefully, as I grow and mature, I become more like him. But I need to measure myself to who? To him and his actions, the person he is, not to other believers. So that is a sign of a spiritual maturity is when you measure yourself not to other believers, but to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now, in this passage, we have another different stage of spiritual growth. The first one is called a perfect man, a mature believer. Now, look in verse 14. We have another stage of spiritual growth, and that of being a spiritual child. The word mentioned there in verse 14 is children, not physically, but spiritually. Ephesians 4.14, that we henceforth be no more what? Now, look at me, please. Would you consider yourself in a spiritual adult, a mature believer? Or would you consider yourself an immature believer, a spiritual child? The Bible refers to it as a babe in Christ. He gives us characteristics of a child. We found one, that of adult already. But look at the characteristics of a spiritual child. There's mentioned two of them here in verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children, it says, tossed to and fro. That is not talking about physically. Talking about in what you believe. How many realize children are naive? Children are very gullible. As parents, we need to be very careful. Watch what is put in the mind of our children. 
It's interesting how our Christian school has really boomed in attendance because so many Christian parents realize what is taught in the public school, the woke system, and all that's there is not good for the child, so they want Christian education because they're trying to control that because they realize the children are very gullible and believe things that are not true. But one of the signs of a spiritual child, they're tossed to and fro. The word is taken from waves or billows of a sea that's constantly tossed about. And goes on to say they are carried about with every wind of doctrine. Carried about with every wind of doctrine. These speak of those that are easily swayed, confused like waves being tossed back and forth, blown here and there by every gust of wind of teaching. How many of you know what a tumbleweed is? I remember as a child, I used to watch old westerns with my dad. And we watch as a man rides into a town. You used to always have a tumbleweed blown across the road there. And it's a dead bush that's uprooted and flies across. And it goes about everywhere the wind blows goes a tumbleweed. Many Christians, I want to call tumbleweed Christians. That anything that's taught, they're gullible and believe. They toss to and fro about every wind of doctrine. How many realize there's so much false doctrine out today? I remember as a young boy, a young Christian, I used to think all churches believe the same. Now, they may practice different, but they believe the same. Had a friend of mine in school that was a Jehovah Witness. Had another one who was a Catholic. And they went to a church. I thought their church was like our church, maybe practice different. But, you know, many churches do not believe the same thing. And yet, so the immature Christian believes they do. And they're very susceptible to false teaching. And so they are like tumbleweeds. No matter who they send under, they're gullible. They believe what is believed there. They're tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. That's a characteristic of an immature believer. There's so much false teaching today in churches, in television, on the radio. Christian television, I would almost say that almost 75, 80% what is on there is false teaching. There's so much there, but so many people turn on Christian television and automatically because it's Christian believe they're teaching what is right. They are immature in their faith and they're gullible, tossed to and fro about every wind of doctrine. Now, what's the cause of this? What causes this wavering among many believers? False teachers. False teachers. It goes on to say there in verse 14, they're tossed to and fro. It said, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness. False teachers that are deceitful and tricky. The word slight of men means deceitfulness of men, and cunning craft means the tricky. You heard the verse that be strong, it's talking about to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the what? The wiles, the trickery of the devil. Many men that are not of God are very deceitful and very trickery. Even they people have they have large ministries, but they're not of God. And, God, and Satan uses them to cause Christians to be tossed to and fro uh, by every wind of doctrine. So false teachers deceitful and trickery, but also they're waiting and ready to strike. Look at the next phrase. It says, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. It's a picture of a lion crouched in the high bushes, grass, that the... Animals cannot see, and they lie there and wait for the prey, and then they attack. That's the example of these false, believe, of these false teachers. They, they're false teachers waiting and ready to strike. 
Does the Bible warn us about false teachers? Uh, for sake of time, I was going to have you turn to me. I believe it would be on the screen, just the, the scripture verse. I'd like to read it to you. But we'll warn both the Old and New Testament of false teachers because there's many out there today. Romans 16, verse 17. Let me read this to you, please. Paul said, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them, which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, their own desires. And by good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. It means the naive. So basically, these false teachers will use fair speeches, smooth talking, and words to deceive. 2 Peter 2, verse 1. Listen to this, please. Peter said, but there were false teachers also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. There were false teachers in the Old Testament. There's false teachers in the New Testament. There's false teachers today. And it goes on to say, false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom they, the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness, they shall with feigned words make merchandise of you. Basically, through their words, they seek to benefit themselves and not the body of Christ. And they, through feigned words, make merchandise of many believers. So one of the signs of an immature believer is that it tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. The cause of this, there's many false teachers. Now, what's the cure? What's the cure? If you're maybe one of those ones who are easily swayed by smooth-talking preacher or evangelist or a person on the radio, what, what is the cure? The cure is to be rooted and grounded in God's word. Rooted and grounded. The verse we looked at last week, our theme verse for the year, Colossians 2, 7, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. Ephesians three seventeen, being rooted and grounded. That oak tree, which I detested because of all the roots in the yard, is able to stand against so much winds of adversity and problems because it was what? Rooted deeply. As a Christian, you can stand firmly if you're rooted deeply in the Word of God. Spiritually immature believers who are not grounded in the knowledge of Christ through God's Word are inclined to accept every sort of enticing and doctrinal error and fallacious interpretation of Scripture spread by deceitful false teachers in the church. What is your greatest deterrent to false teaching? To know the truth. You should know the truth, and the truth shall what? Set you free. Here's a deep statement. Listen. A person that's deceived doesn't know he's deceived. Otherwise, he wouldn't be deceived. That's deep, isn't it? But how true it is. A person that's deceived doesn't know it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be deceived. And so many believers are deceived through false teaching because of false teachers. And so, number three. The first purpose of evangelist and pastor is to equip the saints to bring believers to spiritual maturity, and lastly, to produce spiritual growth. To produce spiritual growth. Ephesians 4, verse 15. It goes on, concludes now, 
but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. One of the greatest admonition you can give to believers, listen, please, grow up. <laughs> Not necessarily physically, but spiritually, grow up. And so this growing up, the spiritual growth is accomplished through sound teaching. Preaching the truth, it says there. Preaching the truth in love. And the result is, the preaching truth is spiritual growth. Now, let me ask you again. The answer is the same as before. What does the pastor use to equip the saints? The word of God. What does the pastor use to build up the saints? The word of God. What would the pastor use to help Christians grow? The word of God. The verse will be on the screen, 1 Peter 2, 2. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that they may, what? Grow thereby. As we close, let me give you some simple, practical ways to apply this. You can close your Bibles. There's a real need for Christians to be rooted and grounded in God's word, to be furnished unto good works, to be built up in the faith and be able to stand against false teaching. Simple ways, very simple. Number one, Christian, if you haven't already established a personal time in God's word, establish a personal time in God. I'm not talking about just your devotion time, a time to study. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God. Do you have a time set aside every day to study the Bible? Oh, pastor, I read it, wonderful, but do you study it? So many of us, because of our busy schedule, don't have time to do that. So number two, let me give another practical way to apply this. Purpose to be faithful in attendance to God's house. Purpose to be faithful in attendance to God's house. For example, where does the pastor, where does the evangelist exercise the gift he has to build up the believer? to help the believer to come to spiritual maturity, to help them grow. Where's it at? In church. <laughs> now, that's an easy answer. So the question here is, as a believer, some of you come every Sunday morning. I'm so grateful. It just thrills the heart of your pastor to see you here. But that's all you do. Why not come to Sunday night? Sunday night, we also preach the word. Sunday morning, get grounded. Sunday night, get grounded. Oh, by the way, what about Sunday school? Some of you never come to Sunday school. God's blessed First Baptist Church was a wonderful Bible teachers, retired missionaries, retired pastors, people that have knowledge and experience in God's word. And you need, so I encourage you, if you want to be grounded, come every Sunday morning, stay for Sunday school, come for Sunday night, but wait, we want more. Wednesday night. Wednesday night, what do we do? We spend time in the word. And so the more you get in the word, the more grounded you come. And you can become like that tree in my front yard. That when storms of life come, you can stand firmly. When false teaching comes your way, you can stand firmly. Because why? Look at me, please. Because you're rooted deeply. That so many Christians fall by the wayside because the roots become shallow. And so 2023, let me encourage you to purpose to be in the word of God personally as much as you're able to be in the house of God, that you might allow the pastor to do the job God called him to do, to equip you 
for the ministry to enable you to grow and help you to mature in your faith as a, a child of God. Now, God uses his word to help the Christian grow and mature. Did you know that God uses the word to bring a, a person to faith in Christ? God uses his word to bring a person to faith in Christ. A verse I think would be on the screen, 2 Timothy 3, 6, 15. Here Paul is speaking to Timothy, that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto what? Salvation through faith in Christ. How is a person born again, by the way? The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So basically, salvation is produced by the word. Spiritual growth is produced by the word. Spiritual strength is produced by the word. You know what that means, Christian? You need to be in the word. That is what God uses, to be rooted deeply in God's word, that you can stand firmly so that you might live steadfastly. Let's bow together for a word of prayer, please. This morning I've been speaking to those of you that know Christ. To help you understand from the Bible that God has given gifted men to the church, evangelists and pastors and teachers, in order to equip you to do the work of the ministry and to be built up in the body of Christ. And also to help you mature in your personal walk, in your spiritual growth, and move from a being a spiritual child to a spiritual adult, and also to help you grow. I want to encourage you as a child of God that you would commit yourself as a believer to this new year to be under the teaching and preaching of God's word as much as you can. Not only to look for time, but to make time that you might be grounded in the word of God so that you might stand firmly, that you might live steadfastly. Christian, why not commit yourself to do that today? As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. You're not certain that heaven's your home. You're not certain that you've been forgiven. The greatest truth in the Bible that salvation is a free gift the Bible says, for by grace are we saved through faith. And the salvation is not of yourself. It is the gift of God. It's not of works lest any man should boast. The Bible tells us that we're all sinners. And because we've sinned, we have earned the judgment of a holy God. And the Bible says our good works, our good deeds will not pay that penalty. And we cannot save ourselves. But the good news is God loves you just the way you are. He loves you in spite of your sin, and he's provided a substitute. He provided a person to come to pay the penalty of sin that you owe. That substitute was his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to this world, died on the cross of Calvary, was buried and rose again. And while on the cross, he paid your sin debt. He died, shed his precious blood, was buried, and he rose again. And now he offers you eternal life as a free gift. At no cost to you because the price was paid in full by Jesus Christ. Your part is to believe, to receive him as your savior. 
And the Bible says the moment you do that, he would give you eternal life. If you've never done that before, why not do it right now? Why not take God at his word and trust Jesus Christ to be your savior? See, pastor, I like to do that. I like to have the assurance that heaven's my home. I like to know where I'm going to go when I die. Then why not get it settled? Why not talk to God right now and get it settled by saying something like this? Just say, dear God of heaven, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And because I've sinned, I've earned, I deserve your punishment. But God, I believe that Jesus Christ, your son, was punished in my place. I believe when he died, he died for me to pay for my sin. I believe he was buried and he rose again. And God, right here today, I want to trust Christ to be my Savior, to forgive me and give me eternal life. My friend, if you would do that, heaven becomes your home. Salvation becomes your present possession for all who believe. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to close in prayer. If that made sense to you, I'd like to pray for you. I would like to know if anyone did that today. So with heads bowed and eyes are closed, if right here today for the first time, you trusted Christ as your Savior, would you indicate that simply to raise your hand so I can pray for you? Anyone at all? Pastor, here's my hand. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. Anyone else? Pastor, that made sense to me. I trusted Christ as my Savior. Would you pray for me? Anyone else real quickly? All right, Father in heaven, we thank you for the ones here today by the case of hand indicate that they have trusted you as Savior. Heaven's now their home. They have eternal life. We rejoice in that. I pray, Father, they would share that good news, the decision they made with other people, how they also can come to Christ as Savior. So, Father, we pray as believers that we would strive this new year to be rooted deeply in the Word of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.